From Crema, this is Option 5, a podcast about product and innovation teams and how they take the leap to say yes and figure it out. I'm George Brooks. And I'm Dan Linhart. Guess what I'm going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? I think I'm going to ride my bike to work tomorrow. Should we check the weather real quick? I Supposedly, it's not supposed to be like this because this is miserable. That that would be an, uh, a be journey. An It'd be an adventure. Oh, a quest, man. if you will. I mean, I've ridden in the rain before, but I wouldn't want to ride that far in the rain. Right. You could call it the fellowship, but it'd just be you. The, oh. The fellowship of the ring goes on a big quest. You could say the fellowship rides to the office. With, but you just have fellowship with yourself. I don't really get it, but I think I... Think I well, when I was thinking about Quest, I immediately oh, went to Lord of the oh, Rings. Oh, I'm like, okay. oh, Fellowship. It's just, but, it, we went down your mind journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was a mind experiment. Yeah, but I'm, um, I'm I'm both excited and a lot nervous. Are you nervous because you'll be in a lot of traffic? Yeah, it's the traffic. Mm-hmm. I'm not really nervous about the ride. I feel like I'll be fine on the ride. It's the I think I'm going to be tense on mm-hmm. the traffic. And yeah, my wife's a little nervous with the traffic. We just aren't, well, I'm not a city rider. You'll be fine. Use your hand signals. Nobody knows what those mean. Nobody knows what those mean. I've used them and people just do whatever they want. <laughs> I mean, we're not a cycling city. So like the people are just like, look at that, a man on a bicycle. I would say we're a, we're a sports cycling city. We're not a, this is my mode of transportation to right, the downtown what, yeah, city. Yeah. So people are like, what are you, what are you doing there with your arm? We're hanging it in a really weird, awkward why position. Why is it in that position? Shouldn't you put it on the handlebar? So what I what I tend to do is I don't use the kind of traditional like you know bent means left and right whatever. Right. I just point in the direction I'm going to go. Yep. That way, <laughs> me, I'm going over there. Yeah. Get out of the way. Yeah. Please don't, don't run please me over. Do not kill me. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be good. There's a few bike lanes on the route that I'm going to take. Good. And then I get to ride through the trail. Mill Creek is such a pretty trail. And it's a Friday. It's a great way to end your week. I know. To say, hey, look what I did. Then you'll be asleep on the couch at three. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm so tired. Uh, but I'm excited about it. Um, what's good. up with you? Anything new? Uh, I'm trying to think if there is anything new. Well, you know, spring sports. Oh, yeah. With, with the family. Yep. Baseball, softball. I was about to say. Dance. What's in the spring yep. for sports? Yep. <laughs> Baseball. You know, America's pastime. That's true. I never played it. Not even once. You played softball. Well, I mean, once. You mean like growing up? You <laughs> no, did, I did. Gotcha. Oh, as a yeah. kid. I maybe played t-ball, but like past that. There I you go. I never, never, never was really good at when I'm not good at any sports that require an extension off of my body. Like tennis. I'm terrible at tennis. Oh, I see what you're I'm saying. I'm not great at golf. So like lever arm. Yeah. It's like, what's that thing doing way out there? <laughs> Why do I gotta? Why do I need a tool? All right. Why do I need to use my arm Although or an extension of it? I'm not. I'm not great at sports in general. So I mean, I mean, I played soccer, but you played soccer. But I was never really like a great basketball player. Everybody expected mm. me to play basketball because I was tall.
let's jump into it. We've been talking about product teams, mm-hmm. which everybody knows. Um, if you haven't listened to our previous podcasts, I would encourage you to go back and check them out. You know, a recap of what a product team is, is basically small, collaborative, cross-discipline teams. And mm-hmm. for us, that's mostly based around technology. Right. So that includes designers, developers, strategists, product managers, test engineers, all working together in their kind of individual skill, sk- skills. Skills. In the skills. Um, <laughs> You've got mad skills, man. <laughs> to, uh, to get to a common goal, a common outcome. Mm. So I'm going to call it out. I'm pretty nasally today. And if you hear a sniffle, if you're listening, I deeply apologize now. It's life. You know, just... You just don't... Yeah. Really, e- I've got a big it. echo chamber right now in uh, my head. I, your head just looks like it would have an echo chamber. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know I sound pretty flat, which cross-discipline teams are also. They're flat. There's not much of a hierarchy. I think that's a good thing. Um, so product teams tend to be small. Yeah. We've mentioned anywhere from four to 10 practitioners on a team, uh, typically led by a product manager, and that's really about it. So they're pretty flat. There's not a lot of hierarchy. Uh, There's not a lot of siloed departments that report to one another or are passing things over the proverbial wall, like Mm -hmm. an assembly line. They're working together, picture a team around a table. um, In front of a whiteboard. In front of a whiteboard. We've also used the analogy of like, no more people that can fit around what's it two pizzas yeah you can feed with two pizzas yep absolutely and um yeah and so one of the biggest benefits of that is just that shared knowledge of if i'm a programmer and george is a designer which he happens to be a designer i am not a programmer so well even project manager right is what you see is i get to bring my knowledge to the problem we're trying to solve you get to bring your knowledge and it's all together in one one group one team yeah and instead of having maybe kind of clearly defined uh, structure in the sense of like, you know, it's that adage of not working from a large specifications document. Instead, you're working towards everyone trying to solve problems. Right. Not as they come, you are planning ahead, but it's, it's less uh, prescriptive. Is that right? The, yeah. Which is why the process we practice within our product teams is agile. Right. Which people over process. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And working in small chunks so that we can solve problems quickly but not get pigeonholed or handcuffed to a large document that may be six months worth of work, Mm -hmm. but you get to the end of it and you realize you built the wrong thing. Okay. So that's a product team. Mm -hmm. What we have found, what we found as we started to put together product teams was that you have, you have this issue when, when you're small, it it changes depending on your size. I'm I'm kind of dancing around here because I'm trying to, I want, because it is different depending on how big your product teams are or how many you have. And we'll talk about multiplying product teams another time, but how many people you have going in your company probably is a better way to say it rather than just in the product team. But when you're small, let's say you're startup, um, a lot of times you'll only have one of each of those roles. Right. Right. And so, um, you don't really have to worry too much about kind of what to do with departments yet. Mm. But as you grow, the easiest thing to do is to start to see, well, similar people of like skills kind of tend to group together. Right. And so we're going to kind of let that happen or we're going to actually institute it and we create departments. I would say that we're, we're not, I mean, we're pretty strongly against um, the adage of creating strong siloed departments. Right. Right. Um, and so, but, but departments uh, traditionally have been kind of grouping of skill sets. Mm-hmm. So it's the design of our creative department. It's the, the IT or the development 
department. It's the, you know, then there's testing over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, of course, of course you throw things over the wall until something gets done right. and it doesn't get done effectively, which is why we believe in product teams. So as you build a product team or you start to build product teams that are working cross discipline, you have a, a risk. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I, I might've jumped a little bit ahead there. Well, let's back oh. up a little bit. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for doing that. <laughs> so as you get bigger, and okay, I'm going to use a sports analogy. So follow me here a little bit. I'll try. It's going to be hard. So sports that have very few players on the field typically have a lot greater room, a lot greater flexibility for autonomy and being able to um, play outside the rules a little bit. Not necessarily like they can foul when against a rule, but if you've got a basketball team, mm-hmm. you've got five players. Yes, they have plays. All basketball teams have plays. They're going to run. However, within basketball, it's so athletic to where if a person sees that they can make a play, they're going to go do it. They're going to go do it. Right. So there's, there's room for judgment. Oh, yeah. There's room for uh, adjusting what's going on in the court. And it's also a very fast pace. You move to football. You've got 11 people on offense. You've got 11 players on defense. Right. Very regimental plays. Right. If you've got a receiver that's supposed to run a 10 yard out there to run a 10 yard out. If the quarterback says, Hey, we're going to go on two, hike on two. Yeah. You go on two. You don't go on one. The quarterback's expecting you to be where you're exactly. Gonna, throw there's it. more people. Uh, you're going towards a, a common goal towards the end zone, right. but you have more people to move in a specific way. And obviously you're facing a defense that's trying to prevent you to get there. And so that analogy serves that the bigger you get, you just kind of have to be a little bit more structured Mm. and that's okay, Mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily have to organize the way that we see companies organize a lot, which is these big departments that there's no, there's rare, rarely knowledge coming into those departments and that knowledge rarely goes out. Yeah. So they get stuck in their own bubble. Totally. Totally. Tunnel vision there's nothing wrong with having 40 designers in a room, right? They can probably create something really great, but we just don't, we haven't found that to be the best way to build products. And so that's why we really love this idea of cross discipline. Um, and why these product teams tend to stay small. Cause again, the bigger you get structure comes in. It has to, that's okay. Um, so I think, um, so I actually looked up the definition of a department. Mm. Um, and this is the way at least, Dictionary.com defines it. Um, I love that place. Yeah, gosh. Um, A division of a large organization, organization such as a government, university, business, or shop dealing with a specific subject, commodity, or area of activity. And I think the the the, it calls out right at the beginning why I think it is so dangerous, and that is because it starts with the word a division. Mm. Like you're literally dividing people this way. And, and I think that's what we're trying to break down is that division of knowledge share, um, of cross-discipline work. Right. Um, but when you do then start to get into product teams, which are cross-discipline in nature, so you're working with other people that aren't like you, there is a risk. And I think that risk is primarily that you then start to get siloed inside the product team. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that makes sense. What I'm trying to say is if I'm a designer and I'm the only designer on a product team, I start to kind of get in my own head of whether or not I'm doing the best job a designer can do because right. I'm the only the designer there. Right. Right. And I think a lot of startups deal with this or small companies deal with this when they only have one person in a role, that person just keeps kind of doing the thing they do and right. they don't know if they're getting better. They're not um, looking for particular ways to grow. They're right. just, they're just contributing to the team and getting their work done. Right. Um, 
But a risk with that is that they're not growing and they're not yeah. actually maybe staying relevant or they're not actually pushing the team to be doing what's next. Right. You know? um, and I think that's that's a risk when you're working in product this product team uh, method. If you will. Yeah, and I think we would agree with the old saying that the sum is more important than the or that the whole is more important than the sum of the individual parts. And so when you're looking at a product team, they're working towards that goal, which is the sum, the complete product, the complete vision, whatever you, you have there. But at some point, the individual has to do their work, right. their task, right. their part of that project really well in order to get there. Yep. And so when they go away to work on their individual task, if they want, oh, I wish I had someone to collaborate with to give me feedback yeah. on this UI I'm designing right now yeah. or this code. Yeah. I can't go ask the product manager. I can ask the product manager about the vision we're marching towards, uh-huh. but he or she can't give me feedback or on if my they craft. Do, it's not, it's not specific about like nerding out on how to be really good at the, the technical aspects of right. what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so at that point, that's where that risk comes in of being on an Island mm-hmm. um, within that project. Yeah. And so that's why we are talking today. Yep. You want to transition about how sure. we train and get better at those through craft teams craft teams yeah so i don't know i've never heard this before i mean i think we kind of coined it a little bit um uh, we love this old language of the craftsmen Mm -hmm. right um that it was the people that became really good at their skill and they spent a lifetime doing it. The master and the apprentice. Yes. Um, and actually we kind of use that language. We want our practitioners to become masters of their craft. And, um, and then we have apprenticeship pro- programs for, to put people in the, the kind of track to, to get there themselves. Yep. What we, but we don't want to let this slip into becoming departments, right? Right. We do want to give them space where they can meet with their other peer practitioners. Um, and for us that happens to be, um, or I guess traditionally the, de- the departments that you would see in any other company would be the craft teams that we've created. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it's dev or design and creative marketing, sales, product, um, production, engineering, um, right. some of these that role could go into whatever that company does. Right. And I think the difference is that in a lot of large companies, departments or divisions are executing together. Yeah where our craftspeople aren't necessarily executing products together. That's right. They are working together to get better at what their craft is. So they're, they're coming away from their product teams and kind of sharpening each other. Exactly. Right. Um, so how do we think about, um, people becoming experts in their crafts? I think I want to jump into that first and then we can kind of go back to how they do that. But, yeah. um, I think the one, a question that I have is what's, what's an expert? Mm. Um, I think that's a, it's a really maybe tricky question because it like is. there's, what's the, um, you're an expert when you've spent like five, so many thousands of hours, it's 10, 000, or five years, which I think yeah. was debunked recently. Somebody, somebody scientific proof. I don't know. I'm now yeah. going, the internet said, right. Basically. And it probably depends on what you're mastering. Yeah. Like if you are yo-yo ma, mm-hmm. it might take you 15 years to get to where he's at. But if you want to master, pick something. Rubik's cube. (laughs) (laughs) You can go on to YouTube and master it in a matter of a week. Yeah. Well, I tried it. It wasn't quite that fast. Um, So there's varying degrees of masters and how long it's going to take. But I think what you were going, was it 10 years, 15 years ago? They, some 
guy wrote a book about takes five years, basically 2000 hours right, per right, year. Right. And a 10,000 hours gets you a, to be a master in five years. That's right. The, the challenge that I have with that is that assumes that you, you, you pass a threshold, mm-hmm. you achieve an end goal of becoming master. And I don't know anyone who I would actually consider master and whatever it is, whether it's sports or martial arts, or, um, I'm thinking of like areas that I think of like masters that you would actually right. refer to that way, or, you know, master electrician or whatever that is. None of them would go, I'm, I've reached, I've reached my peak this top and I have nothing right. else to learn. I have nowhere right. else to go. I know it all. Um, every master would say, I've only scratched the surface of what I could know. I think right. if they're really, truly a great master. Right. Um, and I think that's the, that's the kind of vibe or the sentiment we want to uh, cultivate um, inside our organization. And what we think other people should do as well um, is to really teach people to become learners, mm-hmm. constant learners, constant practitioners, constant um, sharers. So, right. so not only taking the knowledge and using it for themselves, but I think the great, the greatest masters share their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so how do you create this environment where people are learning all the time, right. they're becoming better at it by doing it, and then they're sharing it with each other so that they're all fostering that expertise. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the people that I've met or have had um, interaction or conversations with in the past, the ones that strike me are truly, are like really good at what they do is that they are they have become very resilient people when it comes to failure. Yeah. They're very high learning. They don't sure fail. You know, if you're a competitor and you are competing failure, just it stinks. It really does. No one wants to wants to fail, but they bounce back really fast. They ask those key questions of what went wrong. How could I have done it better? And what am I going to do different next time? And they, it's almost a quick habit, like failure. And immediately they start asking that question. And I feel like in order to become a master, you are open to sharing your failures so that others can learn from you and you quickly adapt and make adjustments depending on, um, what happens in that project or maybe you're, maybe it's a side project at home situation, whatever is your, you are a highly resilient person. I like the, I think you told it to me recently and I feel it um, because I've been doing my cycling and it's really about your recovery times start to go down. Right. I think that's a good analogy because like when you're working out and you first start working out, it's just, it wrecks you Mm -hmm. and it wrecks you for a a long time. You're like, man, it has taken me a good day to recover from that workout. Right. Um, And then the more you work out, it still might be really hard. You know, like you're still huffing and puffing during the workout. But what you're able to do is to say at a certain point, it's like, oh, that only took me a few minutes to recover mm-hmm. from that activity. And now I can go and do another round and or that, I can do more. Right. I can push myself. Further. Yeah. That's the biggest indicator of whether or not you've made progress or you're in shape is how quickly you recover. Yeah. Cause it's still going to be hard. Oh yeah. Sprinting a hundred meters is not easy. I mean, and you may you. get fat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you may, you may get faster, yeah. but you're still running fast yeah. and you're going to be really tired. Oh, yeah. But instead of recovering in. A minute, maybe you recover in 30 seconds. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think that same thing applies to continually working towards being an expert. Mm-hmm. So we, we, I don't, we kind of saw this naturally. And I think honestly, I don't know that we instituted this. I think our teams found that they needed to do this. Mm-hmm. And then as we started to see a couple of our crafts coming together, 
sharpening each other, then I think then we started to encourage, you know what, all of our crafts need to do this. Right, meet together. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple different methods or, or ways that um, we would encourage people to consider fostering this. Right. Um, we kind of have what we call our craft chats. Um, I don't know that we actually call them that. I called it craft chats because each one of them calls it their whatever chat. Right. Um, so we have strat chats, which is strategy chats, um, dev chats, uh, designers chat. Um, PM enrichment. Well, the, the product managers have to make it more fancy, <laughs> right? Uh, um, uh, and, and basically what they're doing is every couple weeks, I think it's every two weeks, some of them maybe meet more often than that. Um, they get together on basically a regular basis. So it's the discipline of meeting regularly. Mm-hmm. It's all of the people on different product teams coming out of the woodwork of their product team and meeting with each other to share, to share what they're learning, right. share what they're doing. Um, share what's working, share what's what not working. Sometimes I refer to it as like sharing war stories. Mm-hmm. Like here's how this battle went really well and right. why it went well and why, what we thought, you know, everyone else should know that they should do this. It's kind of like the scientific method. You, you, you learn something and then you're the scientists you publish your results. You publish your yep. results. You share, you share what you learned. Um, and the same thing goes for these teams. They're sharing what they're learning. Now, we've had to kind of put some structure in place where we've encouraged some structure around thinking about like, think ahead about what your agenda might be for that conversation. Right. Um, who's going to lead a conversation who actually learned something new. Um, Cause otherwise you tend to kind of sit around and go, well, you know, things are good. Yeah. Works fine. But if you have something like, Hey, I read this article or I just tried out this new framework or I learned I, what not to do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which can be just as important or FYI, this failed, this client did not like the way we did that. Right. Um, and so immediately the rest of the team can go, all right, note to self, don't do it that way. Mm. Um, which I think has been really good. So craft chats, what are some other ways that we foster the the craft teams? Well, talking about professional development in general, we probably caught on to this. Oh, probably six, six or so years ago is that, you know, you try to engage in some traditional ways of learning, which are not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, whether it's, just one-on-one coaching conferences, you know, that's a big way to learn online classes, webinars, tutorials, that sort of thing. Um, continuing education, but you can't do a one size fits all type of professional development program because everyone learns differently. We've had instances where we, well, we want to send this whole group to a conference and you know, maybe it's a group of five and three want to go to, or like, do not send me to a conference. I, I cannot yeah. stand conferences, but I would gladly do a self-guided tutorial. Right. And so and, yeah. why I don't force want them? to be around thousands of people. Right. Yeah. Why force someone into a way of learning that doesn't fit them? And we discover that early on in our interview process. We yeah. ask, Hey, what's the best way you learn? Right. How oh, did, yeah. how did yeah. you go? How did you go about learning this new thing? Or what have you learned that you didn't know six months ago and then listening to how they learned that. And you quickly be like, okay, this person is an on the job, hands-on learning yeah. or this person loves to read. Yeah. So you just have to take a, a really customized version of professional development. And then that led to craft chats and then others go to, again, I just want to do a tutorial and then tell you what I learned. Yeah. I think that's really key too, because, uh, my wife works in education, um, inside of a larger organization where she is literally her title as an educator for a department. And that's something to deal with a lot where they have a hundred, um, nurses. She's a nurse educator. They have a hundred nurses plus nurses that they kind of have to keep training. And, you know, the same material doesn't work for everybody and not everybody reads it the same way. And right. Not everybody, you know, like some people need hands-on 
you know, coaching and others need to just kind of go, Oh, cool. Let me try it and I'll be fine. And, yep. and I think that's, um, that's kind of the same thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, how do, how do people learn? Schools are starting to pick up on that. Yep. Um, for better or worse, I think they're trying to figure out ways to, to allow students to think differently about how they learn. Um, I was not a very good reading learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a great reader. And so it was difficult. Only as an adult has, have I become a better reader. So reading a book or reading a textbook and then going and yeah. doing the thing that just didn't work. Yeah. Don't give everyone read, you know, an assignment that read chapter one through five, and then there'll be a 50 multiple choice yeah. test yeah. You know, next Tuesday. Yeah. Now you put a visual in front of me or a, you know, you tell me the story through, um, you know, something that is more, usually more audio visual, a group project, yeah, a group project or practice, practicing it or doing it. Right. And it'll, it'll stick with me for almost forever. Right. Um, and so I think that's just a, it is, we're learning people learn differently. Um, and we're trying to foster that. And I think that even the craft teams are trying to foster that. So the craft, the craft chat's great, but then they also have things like, um, uh, Slack channels. So mm-hmm. whatever tool you use for communication, set up a dedicated channel that allows all of those practitioners to be in the same space and kind of asynchronously share uh, resources. Yeah. Hey, I tried this online course. It was awesome. So you guys should try it out as well. Right. Have you guys been looking at Elixir? That looks pretty cool. It might replace Ruby. Um, or, right. you know, I just tried this new library, um, for X, Y, and Z, or we just tried out this new design tool. Let me, let me share what I learned, or here's a link to an you know, article mm-hmm. about it. Um, and we see a ton of activities in this channel. So it's kind of cool to jump in there and go, I don't, I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't about. know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's really, it's exciting to see that they want to share, which again is that expert activity. They're, they're trying to get better. Um, and you do actually see the people that don't participate mm-hmm. and you start to kind of notice, well, that person's not, not really trying to be better. They don't right. really seem like they want to become an expert, mm-hmm. which then you can coach through your one-on-ones or you start asking a question, are they a good right, a right fit for the team? Mm-hmm. Um, and it creates a safe space for people to ask questions of like, does anyone know how to do this? Yeah. Cause a lot of times, especially if you're new, yeah. The last thing you want is to immediately start and be like, does anyone know how to do this? Yeah. But if you can create that safe space because you have a culture of learning and a culture of getting better and a culture of people admitting, I don't know everything. Yeah. Actually, I know very little, right. but I'm learning fast. Then it creates that space to where you can easily jump in and be like, hey, I've struggled with this on this project. Has right. anybody else ran into this? And I think it, it fosters that people want to help, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think a lot of cultures that I've heard about, it's like, you get the one guy that's just like, I don't have time to help you. You know, I don't want to do that. It's like, well, there are Grant, get me wrong. There are days when it's like, Hey, I, I can't do it right now, but let's like, let's meet tomorrow and we'll, right. I can walk you through it. You start to just see that the culture itself is just, everyone's helping each other become better. Yep. Um, which who doesn't want that culture? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want that company? Um, and then I think one last thing is, and you kind of already touched on it, but those peak events, some people do like to go to events together. Um, it might be small. So we have a lot of meetups around town. Yep. So our UXPA, our UX meetups here, there's dev meetups, yep. JavaScript meetups. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we foster, we went foster. We, we encourage people to go to those together. Yep. Um, so you'll see people from different teams get together and go, oh, let's go to the-. actually some of them speak at them, yep. which is kind of cool. One of the best ways to learn is teach. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. It's really, you good don't point. really know if you don't, <laughs> you don't really know if you truly know the topic until you try to teach it and realize, oh man, that fell flat. <laughs> What are you, what are you what, saying? Uh, yeah. what are you saying this podcast isn't working? <laughs> Just, I'm teasing. I no, I've got, I've been in those situations yeah. before people ask you to, Oh, can you present on this? And then you realize, huh? 
I probably it's don't know as head, much as I thought. But I, I have did. no idea how to communicate what I know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, people do go to conferences together. Um, we've had uh, people do book studies. Um, yeah, we're doing one right now. Well, as a company, we are. Yeah. Uh, but I think even on the craft teams, I've seen them go, let's mm-hmm. review this book. Or the sales team has done that. Yep. The product management team has done that. Yep. Um, and so that's been cool to see people say like, oh, do we all agree this might be a good resource? Yeah, cool. Let's let's read it together and, mm-hmm. and have a conversation. It does help when you come back together in a dev ch- or uh, one of your craft chats meetings and you have kind of a reason to regroup and talk through a book right. or a, an article or video series that you're watching or something. Yeah, I guess that last one, the, uh, taking an online course together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a few people that have done that um, and gotten Some a lot of results. Master classes. Master class, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. What else? I think, I mean, that it's pretty, pretty basic. I think what I've found is that as I've told people that this is what we're doing, they kind of, their eyes light up like, that's really cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, either I am siloed into my department, so I'm only on a craft team, which means that I don't ever talk to the other person that's going to have to deal with what I'm doing. Right. Or I'm stuck working with this small collaborative team and I can never get out to figure out what the rest of the world's doing. Mm-hmm. And um, am I actually good at my job anymore or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. I think for me, looking at, you know, craft team versus product team, the craft team is that safe place. It's the community of people that are like you. And mm. in this instance, it's people that have the like same skill Yeah. to where you recharge, refresh, get better, investigate something new. And then the product team is where you get to go out and practice. That's yeah. where the, you know, the rubber hits the road. Go do. And I get to work with people of diverse trades, diverse crafts, building this really awesome thing. And then I get to look forward to the next time I get to go back to those people of the like skill, that community, mm-hmm. and then get recharged and go back out again. So good. It's a good recap. Well done. Um, so I'll throw it over to... What are, what are you learning? What's something you're, um, you've been looking at or thinking about recently? Well, I just got done with that one book I mentioned on a podcast. Oh, the diversity? Mm-hmm. The minority experience. It's really good. Just again, a lot of good thoughts of the reality of diversity, the goodness of diversity. Uh, the three P's he mentioned are pain, past, and, um, oh goodness. Nothing like calling yourself out on a podcast. Pumpernickel? <laughs> Regardless, he gives a good, he just gives really good thoughts on, yeah, here's a reality. And how can you, how can you create a company, an organization that's within a broader participate? It's not, uh, are you looking I, up P words? No, pain, past, pain, pa- power. That's what it was. Power. That those things exist and they're never on equal terms between people Mm. it could be Mm. i mean you could say race ethnicity nationality but it could go uh, the gamut there's just they're never on equal terms and so how do you look at that reality point out the goodness of it but also point out the elephant in the room of like okay this aspect is not good how can we change that how can we create structures situations cultural change to make that better it's really good i'm still processing it it's mm, one of those where yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lifetime processing one. Yeah. It's, I don't think I have any immediate changes. I'm still just like, Hmm, that was really heavy. <laughs> I got to gotta go. I need gotta to work sit on that, that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah it's good. So it, it's really good. I, I don't think I don't have anything I'm actively reading kind of, you know, related to design or, or product right now. 
I've got some other books that I'm reading, but not, not really related to this stuff. I'm always listening to podcasts. Um, I'm working through one called um, Without Fail, um, which is from Gimlet Media. Mm. I love it because it's based off of kind of, you know, it's the stereotypical interview successful person, but instead of the interview being about like, tell me all your successes and how you got there. It's like, tell me what failures led to you getting there mm-hmm. or what hard things led to you getting there. It goes back to what we were just talking about a bit ago. And one of them was talking to the, oh, what was it? She was like head of HR basically for Netflix. Yeah. Patty. Um, terrible with names. What yes, sure. Her, I definitely know it was Patty. Talking to Patty and, um, <laughs> like we know her first name basis. I'm so bad at that. Um, anyway, so she's famous for the, being the individual who wrote the, um, the Netflix culture deck, mm-hmm. which went crazy viral a few years back. It's probably been several years back now. And it was them thinking about a different way to define their culture mm. and really, really smart. Um, HR for such a long time has been fear driven, right? Rules, um, yeah, policies. it's policies mm-hmm. and rules that are basically put in place to avoid the risk of getting sued. Yeah, I mean that's really what it came down to. Mm-hmm. Is HR was there to protect the company from getting sued, and she kind of took a step back and said that's absolutely ridiculous. Right, like m- most of most of the people you hire, if you hire well, want to make your company better, mm-hmm. and you should just give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what they're trying to do. Instead of locking them down with rules and policies that say you can, can't do this, you can, can't do this, can't, can't do this. And, um, and then create a culture where everybody's afraid they're going to break a rule. Um, instead create a place where people can experiment and try things and fail. And, you know, but she kind of went in the, 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 the title of the episode was about firing people. And she went into, there are times where you're going to have to make a hard decision to say this person no longer is a fit for the team, not because they're not doing a great job but sometimes just because they're not the person that's going to get that team to the next level. They're not the person that's going to take you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had to do a lot of that. Um, and, and so it was just a good reminder. It was just a good kind of like, Oh, that's, that's something to think through as we, you know, as we get bigger, that's, that will be a part of our equation is how to think about when people have to stay or go. Um, and yeah, just, a, just a good exercise for, uh, for me yeah, mentally. She, she and, tied it to, there was, you, there I, was, you, I sent this to you, so you listen to it. That's there right. was a practical, there are pa- practical tips on when you navigate a conversation like that, but it tied back to preemptively reduce the amount of times you have to have that conversation by hiring really well. Yeah. And I think that yeah. I caught on to that of if you don't want to have to have that conversation, she didn't say this, but it was in my, under, in my own head, service. I'm, I'm kind of saying yeah. if we don't want to have to do that, let's continue to hire really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and we see a lot of agencies, um, maybe not always uh, product, but I'm sure product does that as well. But a lot of ad communications, marketing, PR, big agencies, um, they tend to hire a bunch of people really, really fast when they get a contract because they just need bodies. And then that they lose that contract and they have that big gorilla client and they go, well, we don't have any place for all these people. And so they let all these people go. Um, and that hiring and firing, it's usually, and a lot of times they've hired all the, they've hired maybe some of those people are right, but not all of those people are right. Right. Um, we've tend to be more of a company that hires slow, um, and kind of handpicks each person so that we don't have to let them mm. leave. Um, so I thought it was good. Um, I'm learning, trying to soak those things up and learn how to be a boss and mm. how to be a business owner. How, <laughs> so, to, how to do this stuff well. Yeah. But, um, well, I think, I think that wraps it up. Uh, I think this is a good one. Craft, really good. craft some pro- product, teams. craft team, product team, learning, 
executing, doing both. Doing well. Hey, we'll see you. See you. See you around the the office. See everyone. I'm waving. Waving through the microphone. I never know how to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> That's why we have a canned outro. <laughs> and scene. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on iTunes, and if you think about it, would you give us five stars? That helps us out a lot. This podcast is edited by Larissa McCarty, with help from our growth team, Gabby Brotherton, Nate Olson, and Alexa Houston. Check out our show notes at option5podcast.com. Crema is a digital product agency that crafts product teams that design, build, and ship innovation to the world's top scaling companies. We believe that creativity, technology, and people can change the future of business. Learn more about Crema at crema.us. I'm Dan. And I'm George. And you've been listening to Option 5 by Crema.